Uh, I want to go back to Romans chapter 4, verse 25 briefly, and I just want to touch on this, right? So he says, who has delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So a lot of what we're going to, what Paul's about to talk about in chapter 5 hinges on the understanding that we have justification. What is justification? Justification is an acquittal. It is a process of absolution. So there, it is a judicial term, okay? And the idea being that there is a, uh, a judgment that is set against us because of our sin, right? And that in some form or fashion, judicially, there was an acquittal made on our behalf, okay? Uh, there was a process of absolution. In some form or fashion, a consequence that was ours to bear was removed from us. We find ourselves not knowing exactly how all of this took place outside of the fact that Jesus stepped in and assumed the consequences. And so we have a freedom as believers that the, that the world apart from God does not have. Now, how, how do we tie this into character? Uh, I think that Paul writing right here does a really good thing for us, and, and he brings to us uh, something that we should innately already know, but he's, he summarizes it down. Uh, four truths people of character know, okay? He talks on these right here, and so I want to break them down, four little points. If you take notes, write these things down. These are the things that you should every day be able to go, because I'm a child of God, this is how I this is how I react. This is how I act. And this, to me, is the content of character. Okay? So, Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. First thing that he says is that when we are children of God, when we are people who have character, we are at peace. Okay? Hold on to this, right? We talk about suffering, we talk about difficulty, we talk about hardship. As children of God, we are allowed to remind ourselves that we get to walk in peace. What is this? Well, peace is by implication prosperity, all right? So in the Greek, what Paul is saying is that it's not just that nothing bad is happening, because that's what a lot of times we think about when we think about peace, right? That's kind of a modern term or a modern understanding is that, okay, the enemy has stopped, we have a ceasefire, nothing bad is happening. But that's not what peace means in Scripture. Peace in Scripture means that something good is happening. So in, in Christ, we not only have, have something that is stopping the, the bad in our lives, that's separate from suffering, we'll talk about that in a moment, but that there is actually a prospect, there are, there are good things happening for us. So we are, first of all, no longer at enmity with God. He's no longer somebody that we are struggling with, that we are at war with. Um, and and I, I think that um, uh, a lot of times the response for some people here when they, when they think about being at enmity with God is they go, well, I don't have a problem with God. If God's real, it's whatever. I'm not upset at him. And, and I think that terminology gets twisted here and the truth is is that you may you may react that way you may think that way but but the truth is that it's not just enmity isn't just one way it's both ways so because of the sin that's in your life right that you're unreconciled with you are now at war with God so God has a problem with your behavior Isaiah 48 22 says there is no peace says the Lord for the wicked 
And so it, peace is not something that you get to lay hold of just because you decide you want it. It is, it is a fruit, it is a byproduct of walking in relationship with God. Um, sin often brings a short-term illusion of peace, but never bears long-lasting fruit and requires dishonesty. And, and this, the older I get, the, mo the more I see this, right? Um, we can say, well, you know, I can do what I want right now, and I'm having fun, and I'm happy, and I'm living life, and I'm at peace. I'm not having any problems. The problem, the problem is, is that the older you get, right, you cannot help but have some fruit shake free from your branches, right? And people are going to see that fruit, and you're going to see that fruit. And, and the reality is, is that when we live lifestyles of sin, unrepentant, running from God, denying God, the long-term fruit of that is never one that's filled with peace and happiness and joy. The fruit of that is not one that's uplifting, right? Uh, and I think that for me, like, the place that I see this the most just hurtful is when we talk about family, right? When we talk about uh, husbands and wives and children and we look at the way that children are raised and then you look at the hardship that emotionally, the struggle that, that children will grow up inside of and carry into adulthood. And if they don't do something with it, right, then they themselves continue to live lives of rebellion, ultimately in sin, ultimately rejecting who God is. And what happens is, is they repeat a cycle. That's what we call this fruit. It's, it's, it's the cycle that just keeps coming. And then sometimes, though, we I acknowledge it, right? And somebody says, okay, God, you've intervened here. You want better for me. So I no longer have to continue to live the way that I lived. I don't have to do that. I get to live differently. I get to make different decisions. And, and so at some point, some generations draw a line in the sand and say, God, I'm going to serve you all the days of my life. And that's going to look genuine, not just as like, hey, I'm saying the name of Christ, right? Because the scripture says that you can do that. You can just say the name of Christ. But if you deny the gospel, if you deny his character, right, then you're, you're just coming in some other false god. And so some, sometimes people will live their lives out for Christ, right? They'll live their lives committed to this, and they'll own the peace. They'll walk in the peace. And then there will be those who go, man, my life's great. Look, I'm doing this. I'm doing that. Look at everything I'm gaining in my life. But ultimately, the fruit will not be there. Okay, and I don't know, I, I think when I was younger, I assumed everybody wanted a good outcome in life. I, when I was younger, I thought, well, everybody wants to, to be a great, you know, every, every man wants to be a great dad. Every woman wants to be a great mom. You know, every, every family wants to see their kids grow up to do well. And, and then the longer that I live, I realize that there are a lot of selfish people who are just more concerned with having fun today than they are with the impact they have on the world around them, right? And, and, and that is not, as Christians, who we're called to be. As Christians, we are called to be first and foremost about him and then about the people around us. So there's a selflessness that comes, right? This is innate in receiving this peace, right? It's a peace that passes understanding. Romans 1 verse 18, Paul begins this letter that we're in right now by saying, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So uh, at the end of the day, 
people will look and they'll go, well, Pastor Jim, I, I see the fruit in your life. I want that. I want that for my family. I want that in the way that I do life. And then I'll, I'll tell them, man, you gotta, you got to cut some things off. you got to make some changes. And I cannot tell you how rare it is for somebody to say, yeah, okay, I'll do that. Like, I'm going to make the change. Majority of the time, people go, that's crazy. I would never do that, right? I would, I would never do that. I, and and, and and I, I just got to tell you that, that that's what drives this dishonesty that I think is we even find in the church. These are people who are living in sin and they just they, they suppress the truth because innately I think that everyone who's hearing my voice right now knows that the, in order to bear good fruit, in order to have the type of legacy that, that you might want to have, it requires hard work. It doesn't just happen. And we want it to just happen because we want to be on the side having a good time. Uh, and, and I want to say this. Um, Abraham is a great example. David is a great example of what it looks like to be in the midst of living that type of sinful life, taking things into your own hand, doing your own thing, and repenting and turning back. So it doesn't matter what phase of life you're in right now, what stage, what season, wherever you're at, it is really very, very simple to get back into the place of legacy, into the place of peace, into the place of knowing that God has got this, and it is simply by repenting and believing in Him right? Believing in his promise, walking in his truth. So uh, I can't explain this faith on the level that it is experienced by believers. I can try as hard as I can right now. I can talk to you and try to encourage you that when you know God, there's a peace that just takes place. When you're walking with God, there's a peace that it's, it's beyond our understanding. I can tell you that. I can describe it. I can even kind of put some positive things in front of you, but, but I cannot do it justice to what your experience with God will look like. Philippians chapter 4, here in verse 5. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, right? So the first thing Paul says, right, as we're building into character, the content that develops the type of character that I believe uh, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was describing that day, the type of character that transcends the, the color of our skin or where we were born, right, it begins by coming to know Jesus, being justified, and receiving peace. So we are at peace. He goes here in verse 2 and says, Through him uh, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So we are at peace, right? Believers are at peace. Remember this, and we have unlimited access unlimited access. What is access? This is an ability to approach or to have ad admission, right? This access means that we get to come to the throne room of God. And this is something that was revolutionary at this time. Uh, so we can claim that we have it all together and all figured out and even do some good things, but that does not gain us access, right? I, I was in Bible college, and I had uh, uh, made friends with some guys in the dorm room across the hall from us, and, and we would have Bible studies, we would talk about the things of God, and then uh, 
the next, uh, we, went, we went to Christmas break, and when we came back, one of them wasn't there. He didn't come back. And I uh, was like, well, you know, where, where's he at? I was asking his roommate, and his roommate said, well, he just said that um, he doesn't believe in God anymore. And so I got on the phone. I called him. I said, hey, man, what's going on? Tell me what's going on. And he said, well, I just, I don't believe in God anymore. I just, I don't believe in God and so we were having this conversation, and I just asked him the question that really is a very human question, and that is, well, what, what if you're wrong, you know? And uh, he, said, he said, look, I'm still going to do good things, so, you know, I think that, you know, if God is real, he'll be, uh, is real, he'll be okay with me, right? And, and, and that's a mindset that we see among people who would say, eh, I don't believe in God, I don't want to serve God, today's not the day, right? Uh, you go and do any street witnessing, evangelizing, this is a common thing, right? Do you believe in God? Yeah, maybe I believe in God, right? Do you think you're going to heaven? Yeah, why do you think you're going to heaven? Because I do mostly good things, right? I'm mostly a good person. Unfortunately, being a good person is not what, gains, what gives you the access to the throne room of God. In fact, you don't have to do anything except come to know Jesus. It's the justification that comes through faith in Christ that gives you unlimited access to God. Isaiah 64, verse 6, We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our, all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. So it doesn't matter how much good you do. It doesn't matter how fancy you make yourself, what church you attend, how much money you give. I mean, all of these things, they, they, can, they can contribute to the fruit in your life, but they aren't going to get you access coming to the throne room of God because God's not looking at you going, okay, have you done this? Check. Have you done that? Check. No. Are you a child? Are you my child? That's where access comes. And so uh, Jesus, in fact, tells us that he is the one that gives us access. John 14, verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is a brand new concept uh, to, the, to, the, to the church at the time of Christ, okay? This idea that people can come to the Father through Christ. In paganism, the interaction that you had with your lowercase g God was around, God, please don't hurt me, right? God, don't make me suffer. God, look, I don't have any, any food, so can you help me with the harvest this year, right? All the interactions were around bartering and fear, okay? And then you look at Judaism, and even here, you had a, 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 only a few times during uh, uh, your lifetime that you could even come close to the presence of God. The high priest was the only one once a year that was allowed to enter into the Holy of Holies, and they say that he had bells on his robe and a rope tied around his feet so that if he went into the Holy of Holies and he wasn't clean and pure of heart in that moment and dropped dead. They didn't hear the bells ringing anymore. They could drag his body out, right? So, so here's what we know. We know that to be in the presence of God, there's a high level of expectation, right? Righteousness, okay? Uh, Isaiah himself steps into the throne room of God and says, woe is me, a man of unclean lips, right? So, so there is an expectation of holiness and purity, and the reality is that until Jesus showed up, none of us could attain that. We couldn't attain that for regular access, but Jesus paid that price and justification, and it changed everything. And so today, as believers, right, 
we believe that the cross changed it all. The cross changed everything. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So Jesus died on the cross, the dividing wall, the thing that kept us from having access to him, it's been broken down, verse 15, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, verse 16, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Now, what, what happens is Jesus dies on the cross, the veil is torn, there's no longer this divide that keeps us from being in the presence of God, and not only do we have access, right, but how do we get to use this access? Hebrews 4.16 says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Confidence right this idea is that is in some translations it says boldness so listen if you're a child of god your character is divine is defined first of all that you get peace you do not have to be filled with anxiety around eternity you're in right relationship with him secondly you have unlimited access so every time that you need to go and talk to god you have the ability to talk to him and so you can do this with confidence all right Romans chapter 5, verse 2, on the other half of that, he says, and we rejoice in, in hope of the glory of God. So we are at peace, we have unlimited access, and we have a future in glory. And we can have confidence in this. What is this hope? Well, this hope is an expectation. It is a trust. It is a confidence. I, I think that this is another one of those terms that when we look at it in, in modern terms, like we think about hope kind of like, you know, like we've crossed our fingers and we're really just like living in a place where maybe it will, maybe it won't. But that's not what the writers of the New Testament are saying when they use this word hope. They're talking about a confidence, right? Like this is going to work, right? There, there's something that's coming. And so we get a glimpse into the future, right? And that's where our confidence comes from is that Jesus who proved that he's trustworthy because he died on the cross, he was resurrected, the tomb was empty. You have hundreds of people who are testifying to the fact that they see him walking around, that the tomb is empty. You have Roman soldiers talking about it. And so the word is spreading. So this Jesus who died, was buried, and was resurrected is now himself interceding on our behalf. And what does he say? He says that we have a hope, right? So lots of people believe that the teachings of Jesus are good, but they refuse to believe in the promises that Jesus made. Uh, I, I love, probably like many of you, I listen to a lot of podcasts. Uh, I recently heard Elon Musk talking and describing how he felt about the teachings of Jesus, right? He said, I think that the teachings of Jesus add a lot of value, right? That's not a direct quote. Uh, he was being interviewed by the Babylon Bee. And very fascinating to hear his perspective, right? Is he living for Jesus? No, he's not living for Jesus. Joe Rogan goes on these tirades all the time about how he just doesn't understand Christians, but he does appreciate the teachings of Jesus. 
I got to tell you, you can appreciate the teachings of Jesus, but in order for them to be, have some type of substance in your life, you've got to believe that Jesus died on the cross, that he was resurrected, that he's coming again, and then you'll believe not only in the, in the things that he says about how we interact with one another, but you'll have hope in the glory that is to come. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 19 says, If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. To be pitied. What is, what is he saying here? Well, that translates to be miserable, Right? If it's all just kind of a lie, then, then we, above all, live miserable lives, right? But Jesus has revealed not only himself, not only given us access now to the Father, but he's also given us a glimpse into eternity. And so we know that there is more to this life. So we know that there is specifically more to come. Look at John chapter 3, verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Right? So I got to tell you, uh, when it comes to this idea of having uh, this access Jesus wants this for us. Jesus wants it for us. Uh, look at John 17. Jesus' prayer here, right? Now, you would think that, like, we have some confidence that when we pray, God hears us. God wants to answer our prayers. How much more so do, do we believe that God would answer the prayers of Jesus, right? And so Jesus' prayer here in John 17, verse 20 is, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. So... There is a future in which we will not only have access, but we will be with God. So we are at peace as believers. We have unlimited access, and we have a future in glory. Each and every one that is a child of God will step into a, a, a world and a new creation that we do not fully comprehend beyond our understanding. The fourth one here, Romans chapter 5, verse 3. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. And this one for me is kind of the anchor of it all, okay? That we rejoice in our suffering. If we want to be people that have character with content, right? We want to be at peace, okay? We have to remember we have unlimited access. We have a future in glory with God. And then finally, we have purpose in the struggle. We have purpose in the struggle. I, I got to tell you that the gospel is not a fairy tale. It doesn't have a happy ending in the sense that like everybody is going to meet Prince Charming or Princess Charming, whatever that would be. You can judge me on my uh, whatever. Uh, fairy tale, right? Okay, so our hope has to transcend what's happening right now, okay? Now, I'll also say this, like if you're on the fence, you're like, I don't know where I am in my faith with God. I just want to be honest with you. Maybe nobody else will, but justification is not a pass to escape trials. Getting saved does not mean that like all of a sudden, like everything that's difficult in life is going to disappear, 
okay? And, and, and anyone that presents the gospel that way is not being, one, honest, but two, they're not being fair to what the gospel really is about. You see, trials work for us, not against us. Trials work for us. They benefit us. Even in the midst of incredible pain, they benefit us. Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Right? Now, this idea of suffering in some translations is, is translated to be tribulation. Right? That, there's, that we rejoice in the tribulation. Okay? So what is tribulation? What is this term here? Well, it comes from from a different word. It is the word tribulum, right? And so this was an ancient Ro Roman sledge for threshing, a broad, heavy board set with many teeth of stone or iron. It's used to separate wheat from the chaff. So there was a tool that was used to separate out that which was good from that which was not, and they developed this word tribulation with this perspective here that tribulation is about separate about creating separations in our lives so that the good that God has for us will be pushed to the front and that which is bad will be pushed further and further away so what does it mean that we rejoice in this it means that we give glory that we boast that we exult proudly the word exult means to feel or show triumphant elation or jubilation so can I tell you something and this is really difficult. And, and I, I, when I'm walking through difficult seasons and suffering, like Carmen and I have this conversation, like we're children of God. So God is up to something. Like this hurts. It's hard. I want to cry. I, I, you know, fear wants to work its way in. But I need to remember, God, you're doing something right now, right? And it may not make sense. It may feel like it isn't a positive. But I got to tell you that I'm standing here today having walked through any suffering I've ever been through in my life, a better man than I was before. So I trust that God knows what he's talking about. So we have to be reminded of this because if we are going to be people of character, Character, right then we need to be have character with with content and what does that mean that means that hey you know what I'm going through a difficult time right now but God is still my king he's still on the throne he's still up to something so if this life is all we have and it's marked and scarred by hardship then it's all a waste then it's all a waste and this is why for an unbeliever, when they're going through difficult seasons, it's so frustrating because this is it in their minds. Like this is all that I've got and everything is suffering and turmoil right now. But for us, we have hope that goes beyond this, right? Uh, you know, like, like I, I don't want to suffer right now, but I know that I'll be in a position that is beyond suffering at some point. And so God is going to use this for good. So for the believer, no matter how dark it gets, the morning is coming. No matter how dark it gets, the morning is coming. There will be a better day. I hold that inside, and that is a part of what shapes my character. So why would a good God let bad things happen? This is the question then that boils up uh, in, the, in the kind of the conversation when we're talking with people, and we kind of share the gospel with an unbeliever, and we want to tell them that, man, Jesus is good, and they say, okay, okay, I have a, I have a problem with this. Why would a all good loving God, right, then allow bad things to happen. And I got to tell you something. This question arises from either a lack of understanding, typically in terminology, 
or a refusal to accept truth. Remember that the scripture says that those that will reject God will do what? They will suppress the truth. And that picture of suppressing the truth, the best illustration I've ever heard is like having a beach ball in a swimming pool. If you take that beach ball and you do enough, you can get that beach ball to the bottom of the pool, right? You can sit there and swim and apply pressure. But the moment you stop putting forth effort, that thing pops right back up to the top. And so suppressing the truth is this, is this image of constant work without ceasing. There's so much effort being made to keep the truth at bay and to keep all of the arguments sealed up, right? And a lot of times the, these questions come not from an honest place, right, but from a dishonest place, from a place of not wanting to accept the truth. And, and I say that this happens from a position of, I think rejecting terminology or not understanding terminology more specifically um, because there are so many terms that are so abused, right, and so mistranslated in our world. In fact, one of the things that we see constantly is the redefining of terms, right? I mean, it's gotten so blatant in our culture over the last few years that now on the Congress floor they're talking about, you know, well, we just need to change the definition of the word, right? Um, and and that's, that's a scary place to be at. So I want to tell you this. Love in Scripture is rarely marked by acceptance. Love and acceptance do not walk hand in hand. It's just if you think that they do, you just aren't being honest about what love is, right? Okay, there are a lot of times with my children that I do not accept the things that they are coming at me with. Why? Because I love them, right? Uh, one of the most basic analogies is you know, the, the concrete on the highway might be the best concrete around for playing ball, but I don't care. You're not playing basketball on the highway, right? Why? Not because I don't love you, because I love you, because I know the dangers that are inherent there. So love is rarely marked by acceptance. Wisdom is rarely aligned with public understanding, right? Right? We think, oh man, that's so wise. Why? Because it feels good, because the thing they've said is what every other YouTube personality is saying right now or every other political commentator out there is saying. Now, wisdom is rarely aligned with public understanding. Integrity is rarely praised by non-believers, right? Integrity is not something that the world's going to look at and go, man, you have such great integrity, right? So we don't live lives of integrity because we're trying to impress people that don't know Jesus, right? We live lives of integrity because we love Jesus, and I got to tell you right now that suffering refines the believer. And so a good God is okay with us going through things that make us better, right? We live in a broken world. There are consequences of the broken world. God has a plan to renew all things, restore all things. We're all going to be given glorified bodies. What does that mean? That it's a body that is capable of being in his presence, right? Okay, because the ones that we're in right now are defiled by sin. So suffering in scripture, right? It refines the believer. So what do, we, what do we have here? We have that as believers, if we're walking as people with character, we're going to be at peace, right? We're going to have unlimited access to God. We're going to have a future in glory. And we have purpose in the struggle. God is at work. And watch what happens here. I'm going to sum this up for us right here, where actually Paul's going to. In Romans 5, he says, and right, so, so, and when we suffer, when we rejoice in the suffering, that's going to create endurance, right? So we've had peace. We're 
we're in the presence of God, right? We, we're walking through, believing that there's a future for us. Now we're, we're okay with the suffering, right? We're asking God to move, but we're not just going to just fall into this place where we fall apart. And what happens is that creates endurance, and that produces character. And character produces hope. And I, I got to tell you that when we remove the gospel from the, from the man and the heart of the statement that one day— right, that we will judge people by the content of their character and not by the color of their skin, right, we, we have no hope of that ever happening because genuine, authentic, good character is something that happens through the refining work of the gospel. And so, listen, this is my invitation to you if you're a believer today. Be okay with that. Stop, stop taking the heart and message of the world that, well, I am who I am and I've just got to figure out how to be who I am. No, God can do incredible things to bring miraculous changes to your life. You just have to wake up to the fact that you need to be a better person, right? And that's okay. I, I can give one really, really juvenile, simple analogy for this. I say juvenile because for some of you, you're going to say, well, that would never be a thing, right? So when uh, Carmen and I got married, uh, this was really like the, you know, the most uh, uh, we had in gaming consoles at the time was like a Nintendo 64. And so you just, you know, you, you had some, some gaming, but you didn't have like 80 hour long games per se, you know what I'm saying, where you could play nonstop, right? And so uh, when we got married, I didn't even have a, a gaming console. And we had been married for a couple of years, and a friend of mine introduced me to a uh, new game at the time that's turned into a massive franchise called Halo. And so uh, I went, I bought an Xbox, I bought a copy of Halo, and a month later I bought a copy of Halo 2, and I began to play all the time. And Carmen would come and say, hey, I'm going to bed, do you want to come to bed with me? And I would be like, after I beat this guy, and I'd be screaming and yelling and running, and I'd be online with um, what for a long time I thought were little girls beating me up, but I found out they were boys that had not hit puberty. Um, uh, but for, I mean, for like years, I was like, dude, I don't know why, but I always get paired up with these little girls and they kill me. And then they come and they scream and yell in their microphone at me and call me dirty names. And I'm like, where are their parents? And, and then one day somebody goes, dude, that's, that's not a bunch of little girls. That's just little boys. And they just haven't hit puberty yet. And, uh, but, but in the midst of all of that, one night I just realized like, man, I am not honoring the relationship God's given me, Right. And uh, I went, I repented to Carmen, and she, she'll tell you, she's not here today. Uh, uh, she had surgery this week. She's doing fantastic. Thank you guys for the love and the prayer. Like, we're getting past all of this. This is amazing. But, um, like, I made a conscious decision to make a change in my life. I could have just sat there and said, well, this is who I am right? But I chose not to, right? The exact same thing happened very early in our marriage with a porn addiction. Uh, I heard a pastor say, you know, part of the problem why men are always looking is because they don't have a, a proper standard for beauty. And he said, your wife should be your standard of beauty. They should be the most beautiful woman in the world to you, and every other woman falls from there. And it did something in my heart, and I made this change. And listen, if you're in the struggle of pornography, I'm not here to guilt and shame any women or men in your marriages. I'm just telling you, that's how God did it in me. And I stopped going like, well, this is just who I am. No, God wanted something more for me. And so I've been able to find freedom in my life. And so these are very, these might 
for some, they're big challenges. For some, they're little. But the reality is, is that as I continue to go through and work on these things and, and the endurance of it, my character began to be uh, developed, that I began to become the man of God that I believe that I am today. And so what happens is that, that character produces hope. There's, a, I have a confidence, right? That, that, you know, like my wife and I, she lost her sister this year, but we have just tremendous confidence that she is with the father and that we're going to be with her one day. It hurts today. It's hard today. We have uh, digital photo frames all over the house because our TVs do that. And her picture's always popping up and we're always just pausing and looking and thinking right but we know that there is more that God is in control and watch this in verse 5 and hope does not put us to shame if you are wrestling with shame in your life if there are things that you're participating in that bring shame you need to know this right now they're just not of God right they are not of God. The shame might be the thing that God's using in your life to wake you up so that you'll come into a position of having high character, character with content, so that you'll have the endurance, so that you will have the faith, right? Because watch this, and th this just really sums up the last two weeks talking about the Holy Spirit, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us as, as children of God, the person of the Holy Spirit now resides in you. Why, why, right? Because of God's love. God loves me, right? So my character is defined by the love of God, the person of the Holy Spirit at work in me, and it all comes back to the fact that I accept that I have peace when it comes to God, right? That I have access to God, that I have a future, right? That I have this future with God. And so hope in the end does not put us to shame. It was God's love that gave us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that gives you access, right? That gives you the ability to be in constant communion, relationship with God. Let's stand to our feet. So... Social media is going to be lit up tomorrow with people that are paying homage to Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And, and I'm going to tell you what, uh, I mean, the last few years I've seen people saying, I, I wish that we would stop talking about him. He wasn't radical enough. I've, I've had people in my life who, who say that all that's going to bring racial reconciliation is war. And, you know, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. only wanted peace. I just reject all of that, you know? I don't care what I get called on the other side of it, right? I, I firmly believe that uh, I'm going to be standing there with brothers and sisters that are refugees from Syria. I say it all the time, Iraq, the Middle East, Europe. Man, I, it just doesn't matter what they look like. Jesus wants them all, and they're my brothers and sisters. And it just, all I care about is, is the, the, the church, the kingdom of heaven. That's where, that's where the work is, all right? And so tomorrow we're going to see all of these things. And I just want you, every time that you see that quote, right, the content of their character, I want you to think to yourself, do I have character with content, right? If I'm a child of God, here's what I get to do. I get to walk it out, living it like this. Amen. Listen, if you don't know Jesus, I, I want to invite you into the greatest story ever told. You're already a part of it. I just want to invite you into your role, into your purpose, right? Um, uh, it, it is a, a, a life that is filled with uh, uh, 
not just like this this change to integrity but man there is so much just mind-blowing excitement in the kingdom of heaven like as you dive into the word as he begins to speak to you as the holy spirit is at work inside of you it's 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 revolutionary and i want to invite you to be a part of that um if you're sick in body if you are suffering right now i'm not asking you to start doing like a you know a march around the building blowing a trumpet because you're excited right um the scripture says when we're sick in body go to the elders let them pray with pray for you so we want to do that right we are okay with the fact that we go through difficult seasons because there's a hope for tomorrow but right now where we're at, God's, God's sympathetic to that. So we want to give you an opportunity in a moment to respond in prayer. Before we do that, though, I want to pray for you. So just bow your heads and close your eyes. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for sending men and women that have been incredible leaders, voices in our lives, even beyond those of Scripture. Father, you have used people to bring me as an individual to the place that I'm at today. Lord, if it weren't for my father, I would not have heard the gospel presented so plainly uh, on the way home from church one Sunday, and I would not have come to know you the way that I do today. I firmly believe that you used him in my life. So I thank you that you use your children to advance the kingdom of heaven forcefully, to lay hold and bring change. Lord, I pray that we would be people not just who are tied up in the idea of this word character but that we would be character that we would be people who have character with content lord that we would in confidence come before you uh, as your children ready to serve ready to lead ready to love we praise you and we ask these things in your mighty name amen amen hey we love you guys if you need prayer please don't miss the opportunity in the back um, uh, otherwise we'll see you next sunday and as always go change your world